Have you ever thought of a tree as more than just a tree? As in nature, the trees on the streets of our cities, in our parks, and in our backyards, they provide habitats for thousands of other plant and animal species. And these trees also remove harmful air pollution and particulate matter. And in the summer, they help to keep temperatures lower by providing shade, as well as through a process called evapotranspiration. So when is a tree more than just a tree? We'll discuss this and more in today's podcast episode. Welcome to Advancing Sustainable Solutions, the IIIW podcast. We are the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University, and this episode will be hosted by Sophie Sandin and Stephen Curtis. Welcome back to Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We have a new year, we have new topics, and we have new guests joining us in this podcast. In today's episode, we will introduce nature-based solutions as an approach to incorporate nature and innovation in cities to address our sustainability challenges. Yeah, but first, we want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast. We're happy to bring the podcast into a new year. Yes, and just as we welcome you, our listeners, back to a new episode in a new year, we also welcome Stephen back uh, from his trip to the United States. Last episode, you were joining us from across the Atlantic, and I gotta say, it's really good to have you back here in the studio at IIIW, Stephen. Yeah, thanks, Sophie. I uh, I enjoy being back here as well after uh, several weeks uh, in the U.S. Yeah, you did promise us some stories from uh, your travels. I did. Anything you'd like to share in particular? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed my time in the U.S. Um, it's the longest time I've spent in the U.S. since starting my PhD here at the Institute. And it was really great to be able to see friends and family across the country. I think two things maybe stand out. The first was just how much fun I had taking ground transportation uh, across the U.S. So both Amtrak and Greyhound, the U.S. uh, train and bus service, and the people you meet are just so kind. Uh, The conversations you have are are also really interesting. I mean, from the uh, entrepreneur uh, taking the the train from Chicago to San Francisco to the elderly couple visiting their their children um, for the long holidays, you know, you really do get to see a cross section of humanity when you when you take public transit. I think another thing that I really enjoyed was my time spent in Wisconsin and Illinois. Both of these states border Lake Michigan, and it's just such a beautiful part of the country, especially in the winter when you have that cold, crisp air. And uh, we did spend a lot of time out walking on the lakes, and it certainly made me reflect a little bit more about the infrastructure in cities, in particular, just how well cities are able to to design infrastructure that incorporates that nature. Yeah, it sounds interesting, and uh, I think we're going to pick up on some of these things during today's topic. Uh, Stephen, really nice to have you back here at the IIIW for this episode. Yeah, thanks. Now, let's ask ourselves, why this episode about nature-based solutions? Why now? 2020 will be a pivotal year in our attempt to curb dangerous climate change. Once again, 2019 was the second hottest year on record. Our world is facing raging fires like those in Australia, in the Amazon, and even here in Sweden. Yeah, I mean, our world is literally on fire. 
and the world also faces extreme droughts, flooding and mild winters. Just a story from here in Skåne, southern Sweden, where Lund is located. We are currently two degrees Celsius above normal for January. And also, again according to Swedish definition, winter starts when the average daily temperature has been zero degrees Celsius or lower for five days in a row. This means that although it's already January, winter hasn't even started here in the southern parts of the country. Instead, uh, I actually saw the first spring flowers in bloom outside of the uh, office just uh, this weekend. And just like last year, we may not even have winter. Instead, we will go immediately from fall to spring, which is not very common up here. So as we begin a new year, we reflect on the mounting evidence as well as the call from youth around the world to do more to address our urgent environmental challenges. That is why in 2020, we here at the IIIEE support bold action based on the latest knowledge that we have about the sustainability challenges we face. And not only the challenges, Stephen, but we must also pursue the necessary solutions. And this is what motivates Stephen and me in sharing with you our research in this podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We hope the IIIEE podcast inspires action in your daily lives. Yeah, this action is often directed to you, our listeners, to suggest solutions that you can do right now. But we must also recognize that our systems must also change. If I were to reflect on my theory of change, so to speak, I I think about how we're able to address our sustainability challenges and see that these systems are just made up of people like you and I. And the more information that we have, the more informed our decision making. And hopefully the more sustainable our actions. And I think that if more and more people begin acting or continue to act in a sustainable manner, the easier it is to transform our systems. And in a way, I try to remind myself often that our systems are made up of individuals like you and I. And sometimes it takes courage. It takes courage to act if that action especially is outside of the norm. But we're not alone. And in this way, we can encourage others to also change in our families, at our workplaces, and from our government. So, in this episode, we want to discuss with you nature-based solutions, often referred to as NBS. This is a relatively new concept. However, we have been relying on nature forever to manage many of our environmental challenges. Nature-based solutions recognize that nature can play a regulating or supporting role to address environmental and social challenges in cities. So, as Stephen asked, when is a tree more than a tree? (laughs) Uh, And we'll certainly touch on that later here on the episode. But first, I think we need to introduce a little bit more about what nature-based solutions are. Now, we suggest that nature-based solutions are the deliberate and strategic use of nature to respond to environmental and social challenges. So let's take an example. Uh, A tree is a nature-based solution when it is planted on the streets of our cities, for example, in order to provide habitat, to support biodiversity, to provide a cooling effect, and for us to enjoy as we go about our daily lives. Otherwise, although lovely, unless the tree is planted with a deliberate intention, we suggest it's just a tree. Safi, do you have any other examples of nature-based solutions? Yes, there are many. I think of, for example, parks, ponds, and other green areas. They are also said to be nature-based solutions. That means, then, they are more than just places for recreation, because they also allow water to infiltrate into the soils, and as such, replenishing groundwater, and they can store stormwater runoff. 
This means that we can be less dependent on other man-made infrastructures, such as pipes, drains, and so on, that otherwise would handle this kind of water. And there are so many other examples of nature-based solutions in our cities, and we'll share these throughout the episode. But first, let's explore the concept more and discuss ongoing research here at the IIIEE on nature-based solutions. last few years, research on nature-based solutions has grown significantly. We see the need to continue to green our cities, to recognize the value that nature brings, not only environmentally, but also economically and socially. At our institute, we have several research projects and people working with nature-based solutions. One of our four research themes, called Urban Transformation, oversees research on nature-based solutions. Later in the episode, we'll chat with Kess McCormick and Bjorn Wickenbay, who are new to the podcast. They work on a project called Naturevation. As the name suggests, the project explores nature and innovation in cities by researching nature-based solutions. And I think that this project is unique in many ways in the scope of its data and the impact that it aspires to make. Yeah, it is an EU project which involves 14 other European universities and institutions, and the team is made up of more than 60 researchers from different disciplines. Imagine coordinating with so many people across countries and time zones. And while interdisciplinary research can be challenging at times, this type of research is important to take a holistic perspective at our sustainability challenges. Yeah, so we've discussed in a previous episode the value of interdisciplinary research and education. Have a listen if you're interested. Yeah. And the Nativation Project also prioritizes societal impacts. Our colleagues can share with you a little more about that. But if you're interested, there are some other opportunities to learn more about nature-based solutions. Uh, For example, I've heard that the project is writing a textbook coming soon to educators to use in the classroom. Uh, That's a cool idea. uh, Oftentimes you don't see a textbook that's so specialized in this way talking about nature-based solutions. But I guess one thing that we'll learn throughout the episode is how nature-based solutions do span so many different aspects of how we think about and design our cities. Another thing that the project has done recently is they've actually developed and released an online course to help others learn more about nature-based solutions. Now, the course is free and it's available on the Coursera platform. You can find the course by visiting Coursera.org and searching for the title of the course, which is Urban Nature, Connecting Cities, Nature, and Innovation. Now, the course is running now, and you can embark whenever you feel like it. And you know what? We have prepared a little sneak peek for you of uh, this online course. In this clip, we are introduced to nature-based solutions, their benefits, and an overview of the course structure. How can nature help us design and build our cities? Nature-based solutions have the potential to provide multiple benefits across a range of sustainability challenges facing cities. They can help us to limit the impacts of climate change, enhance biodiversity and improve environmental quality while contributing to economic activities and social wellbeing. But what are nature-based solutions? Examples include green roofs and city parks that reduce heat, seed lagoons that can store water, as well as vegetation and rain gardens to intercept stormwater. This course will explore nature-based solutions in cities in Europe and around the world. 
will connect together the key themes of nature, cities and innovation. We will discuss how to assess what nature-based solutions can achieve in cities. We will examine how innovation is taking place in cities. And we will analyse the potential of nature-based solutions to help respond to climate change and sustainability challenges. So in this clip, you heard from Kes McCormick. He's an associate professor here at the IIIE, and he joins us now in studio. Welcome, Kes. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Well, so in the clip you just heard, we hear you introduce this online course, right, that you've been involved in um, called Urban Nature. We talked a little bit about the project Naturevation already in the episode. Why does a project like Naturevation want to produce an online course like this? Yeah, I think there's two big reasons why a research project engages in an online course. And the first is to create a global classroom for people all over the world to learn about what we're doing. And the second is to create research impact, which is, means to share our research with a very broad audience. And I guess you're able to reach a broad audience through the course. Yeah, look, online courses are incredible. The internet's an amazing thing. We can reach the entire world and offer a course totally for free. So everyone everywhere can access this course. That's cool. Um, so what kind of impact then do you hope to have with the online course that you're running now? Yeah, I mean, we hope to have three types of impact, you might say. I mean, one is education, so to teach people new things. The second is inspiration, to provide, you know, inspirational stories and visions about what's possible. And the third is to, to be able to use that education, inspiration to inspire actions around the world. Um, what other things could our listeners expect from the course if they take the opportunity to, to look into the course? I mean, the course is full of short and creative films that take all different kinds of angles and perspectives. So you can learn from many different types of people, which is very different to maybe a typical course in a classroom where there might only be one teacher. Here you'll meet 20 to 30 different teachers from uh, all different countries and all different backgrounds and all different sectors. I know that the online course that you're associated with is about nature-based solutions, but your research is also looking at nature-based solutions in cities. Maybe you want to share a little bit about some of the research you're doing now here at the Institute. Yeah, so the focus of my research is about how cities can become more sustainable, and a key way to do that is to work with nature-based solutions. And an example of that would be green roofs or stormwater management or um, all kinds of work around biodiversity and nature in cities. So what my work looks into is about the governance and the policy necessary to make these kinds of changes in cities and to promote uh, the use of nature-based solutions and to the rethinking of how cities and nature relate to each other. What are some of your favorite examples then of nature-based solutions that we may find in the course or, or elsewhere in your research here at the Institute? I mean, two of my favorite examples of uh, nature-based solutions are urban forest strategies. Um, urban forest strategies really challenge cities to think about are we uh, creating parks in our city or are we a city in a park? So to really rethink the relationship between uh, urban development and nature. And another uh, very specific example is of the email a tree program in Melbourne, Australia, where the city government uh, mapped all their trees and gave all the trees a number or a name and allowed people, citizens in Melbourne, to send an email to trees. And the idea being was that uh, you could email a tree and say, I think this tree needs more water or its branch is broken or something like that. But instead, what the city received was essentially love letters to trees <laughs> and fine. people reflecting on yeah. their relationship with trees and nature. 
And I think it uh, opened up the eyes of the city to the fact that people have relationships with urban nature, with parks and trees and plants and animals in cities, and that this is really, really important to the way we think about our cities and design our cities. Maybe if we think then about some of the challenges then that nature-based solutions are seeking to address, what might those be? Yeah, the major challenges that we're talking about that nature-based solutions try to respond to are, of course, climate change, and that includes both climate adaptation, but also uh, climate mitigation and building resilience, and in particular, biodiversity loss as well. We have huge biodiversity in our cities, and it's really important that we create urban environments that are interconnected and allow biodiversity to thrive in our cities. So. These are some of the really big issues that we're uh, responding to with nature-based solutions. So how do you think that nature-based solutions then can be a part of the solution then in contributing to the necessary urban transformations we need in our cities? Yeah, look, I think nature-based solutions on a small scale, we're talking about like green roofs and stormwater management, things like that. But on a bigger scale, what they're doing is making us rethink the relationship between cities and nature. And this is hugely important because today we live in cities that are essentially disconnected from nature. We live in kind of bubbles in a city. But what nature-based solutions do is start to reconnect our technical and engineering systems to nature and also reconnect our people who are living in cities back to nature and to what creates the foundation for life and, and our civilization and cities. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, something that will carry through with us um, throughout the rest of the episode. Cass, I want to thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Very fun to be here. Great to talk about nature and cities. Thanks a lot. Great. Cheers. previous episodes of this IIIW podcast, we have discussed urban infrastructure as a means to both reduce the human impact on the environment, as well as to adapt to our growing sustainability challenges. Infrastructure is an important aspect of any city. In fact, as we learned in a recent episode of the podcast, new construction equivalent to Paris is being added to the global stock of buildings every week. I still cannot get over the size of this, Stephen. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's it's quite phenomenal to think about. And it's something that you and I talk about often uh, outside of the podcast it's as baffling. well. It's baffling. It's crazy to just think of that amount of building stock being added every week. And if we think then about this infrastructure, what comes to mind? Maybe it's apartments or office space or or shops. But there are also infrastructure that we don't see and that we don't think about. Uh, can you think of, of anything? Yeah, so for example, infrastructure that we often take for granted that goes unseen may be the pipes for drinking water and sewage, or wastewater treatment plants, or stormwater detention ponds. The thing about this kinds of infrastructure is that they usually are made out of concrete, and this is why urban planners and researchers often refer to it as grey infrastructure. Right. So great infrastructure refers to human engineered infrastructure used to provide one or multiple services to our cities. And like Sophie said, they're often made out of concrete. But there are two other types of infrastructure that are discussed when describing urban infrastructure, and that is green and blue infrastructure. And as the name suggests, I bet you already know what this refers to. Yeah. So why don't we quickly define these terms? Green infrastructure describes the strategic use of natural and semi-natural systems using vegetation 
that deliver a wide range of services to both humans and the environment. And similarly, blue infrastructure describes the strategic use of water, such as ponds, ditches, canals and wetlands, to provide similar services. Kess mentioned some examples, and a few more include green roofs and city parks that limit heat stress, city lagoons that store water and permeable surfaces, and vegetation and rain gardens to intercept stormwater. Of course, the list of examples is endless because nature is able to provide solutions to many of our challenges. I think the important thing then here is to remember that green and blue infrastructure is the strategic use of nature to address challenges or provide services. And in this way, nature-based solutions often involve green and blue infrastructure in cities. However, gray infrastructure continues to dominate urban development, from the design of wastewater systems to efforts to improve energy efficiency in the built environment. Concrete or not, these infrastructure are super important in our cities. Imagine what all of our cities would look like around the world without the necessary infrastructure for managing stormwater, air pollution, and wastewater. So, what nature-based solutions propose is that we try to make these solutions less gray and maybe less reliant on man-made concrete. Instead, nature-based solutions can bring us closer to nature and provide multiple benefits by providing a service and improving the livability of our cities. Yeah, that's right. And I think this is an important aspect, that cities are built for people. While trees provide habitat to support biodiversity, reduce air pollution, and provide a cooling effect, they're also beautiful. Our parks and spaces wouldn't be the same without them. And we rely on parks for recreation, for playing with kids, for going for a run, or enjoying a picnic. If you talk with your friends or work colleagues, I bet they would also agree cities need more green and blue infrastructure, not less. So... In so many words, nature-based solutions have the potential to address environmental and social challenges if they are more systematically integrated into the planning of our cities. Yet, despite their significant potential, the use of nature-based solutions remains marginal within and even between cities. So we sat down with our colleague and fellow PhD student to discuss strategies for cities to integrate nature-based solutions into urban planning. Thanks a lot for joining us today on Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Thanks. I am happy to be here. So Stephen and I have shared a bit about nature-based solutions, but we'd love to hear more about your experience with nature-based solutions. So, but why don't you start with telling us a little bit more about yourself? All right. I am a PhD student here at the IIIE. Uh, I'm doing research on nature-based solutions, uh, and I'm interested in how municipalities work with nature-based solutions and the barriers they face when implementing them. And uh, prior to my PhD work, uh, I was working at the city of Malmö uh, with urban planning. And uh, having a background in environmental science, I've always been interested in sustainable city development. And that's where NBS links together with planning. Yeah, and NBS, right, is the acronym we'll use to describe nature-based solutions. That's correct. Yeah. I have to say, Bjorn, I always love hearing about your time at Mama Urban Planning Office. Bjorn and I share an office, and uh, he always brings this perspective into our discussions. 
Uh, I'm curious, was there anything then that sparked your interest in nature-based solutions that brought you here to the Institute to do a PhD? Yeah, a few years before starting my PhD, there was a major event in Malmö. Uh, in 2014, on the 31st of August, Arvid came to town. That was not a boy, that was a storm. During six hours, we had over 100 millimeters of downpour, and uh, that was the heaviest rain in Mama in modern history, resulting in several areas throughout the city being flooded. People had to leave their homes for over a year during renovations. So the flooding severely affected the society, the citizens, and the total costs of damages have been estimated to about 1 billion Swedish kroner. So citizens, companies, and politicians all reacted, saying, who is responsible for all the water? And that's really a good question, but a tricky one. Yeah, I also remember the Alvid incident. Um, but Björn, linking this back now to the topic of today, how do you think nature-based solutions might help in preventing that another storm like Alvid has that severe effects? Well, within municipal departments, there was a decision to develop a cloudburst plan. Uh, and that work involved a lot of municipal departments and other central actors, uh, for instance, the water and sewage company. Developing that strategy and setting long-term targets took about two years. It may seem a long time, but it involved a lot of investigations uh, about who is responsible for handling the water, like where do we draw the borders between what count as water above ground and underground? But also questions about how to finance long-term investments for climate adaptation. Yeah, so what was the outcome then of these discussions? Well, um, first of all, uh, this planning document was finally adopted by politicians. Uh, and, and that's a cornerstone in planning. Uh, and then actions could be taken. Like, for instance, one example being a park that we lowered to maintain or hold water. Uh, that's one type of action. But the major challenge is actually relating to not only to public land, which parks and, and uh, streets, they're all public land, but most land in cities are private. So it's also about how do we engage with private property owners, how do we engage with other actors uh, holding land to have them take actions. But Sabjorn, you mentioned now that uh, as a, an effect from the Arvid storm, you, for example, lowered this park in the Södra area. Is there anything else that has changed in Malmö as a result of the flooding in 2014? Well, I uh, we can see some concrete measures have been taken. Uh, but generally, I would say that the, there is much more awareness of the importance of working with water and with nature and uh, not against it. There is one idea, I don't think it has been implemented as far as I know, uh, that all uh, new development should be able to hold water locally to avoid burden the underground water system and not needing to add more capacity, more pipes, more gray infrastructure. Uh, and the idea was to include a kind of water footprint thinking in the planning stages uh, of each new detailed plan. So here, MBS may come in handy. In what way, then, would NBS be relevant here? Well, in concrete terms, it means adding more blue and green infrastructure right. in each plan. But uh, the truth is, to be honest, investments in green and blue infrastructure 
is not a priority because there are other things to consider in the urban development, such as housing, social unrest, and so on. And um, planners still have to fight to convince developers uh, and other competences within the municipality and decision makers that we need to work more with nature-based solutions. I wonder why, though, does it take a crisis to implement nature-based solutions? Are other cities actively engaging with nature-based solutions to preemptively address sustainability challenges? Well, yeah, it's funny you mention it. It's it's almost like we almost have to die before we uh, <laughs> realize that that we're actually in a crisis. Yeah. Well, we could talk about MBS or nature-based solutions as a very new and emerging concept and generally is not what cities are using today, but we use other concepts or other approaches like ecosystem services, ecosystem-based approaches or green and blue infrastructure. But so far, it's far from fully integrated into urban planning. There are a lot of challenges that still exist to implement and to scale up these type of solutions. So why do you think then that these challenges exist at an urban planning level? Well, from, from part of my research, I can, I can see that, that barriers relate to different responsibilities uh, of the different municipal departments uh, and dealing with challenges around who is responsible for doing what. You also need these ideas to be integrated uh, or part of the whole planning chain. So from idea through planning, implementation, and maintenance, and then evaluation. Other barriers relate to, you know, the lack of visions or policies or decisions that support uh, nature-based solutions or lack of knowledge and competences and adequate planning tools. Um, and finally, I would like to, to raise uh, the lack of resources and funding for these measures in cities, especially considering that we're in times of public austerity. So... How can we convince, for instance, uh, private developers within the building sector that nature-based solutions are good and cost-effective solutions as compared to more traditional solutions? Right. So I, I understand that many of our cities around the world are facing uh, budget shortfalls. And I guess your point here is that private investment can see nature-based solutions as something that contributes actually economically to the city through raising property prices or mitigating damage from potential, for example, uh, flooding from storms. Yeah, but I, I, I think we also, we should look at the bigger picture in cities. So considering the, 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 the chance or the, the room for improving our cities in terms of green and blue infrastructure, we have to look at the bigger picture. And what I'm talking about, that there is a lot of conflict in cities. Space is limited and then involves uh, a lot of competing interests. And it's not a big surprise that, that private capital investments are directed towards large construction works because building houses is business and with large potential return on investments. Imagine if huge private capital was invested in parks, in greenery, and in water ponds instead, and that these investments were based on the future value we could gain from these assets, where climate change adaptation and resilience would count as return on investment. I think that's an interesting idea. Uh, it's not the case today, but it has to be in the future. 
Is this something you see happening in research, for example, now within MBS to trying to make this change in how we think of the value of MBS? Yeah, uh, it's it's good that you mention it because uh, the value around MBS is, is also a challenge uh, because as of yet, we don't have all the methods, tools, and models to be able to assess the value of nature and, uh, and, and the values that these green and blue solutions provide. I mean, how much is a tree worth? And how do we value all the different services that nature or natural elements provide? And can we even compare those values to the social and economic values of selling and developing land for housing, workplaces or services? So there are barriers to implementing NBS in cities, apparently. But can you also give us some examples of cities that have implemented nature-based solutions successfully? Yeah, in one of our research projects, Naturevation, we have collected uh, a whole bunch of good examples where we can see that that around 100 cities have contributed with more than 1,000 examples of nature-based solutions. So that's a good source of finding good examples. The thing is that we do find a lot of uh, implemented solutions maybe not named as nature-based solutions, but the idea of, uh, let's say, a park has existed for over over 100 years. So we have many examples to look at. Maybe it's the way we think about it and how we value it uh, and, and understanding the role it has to play in the city and for us and for, for animals for that matter. There are many good examples, and I like to use Malmö uh, as one case. You have the Augustenborg area, uh, which we can learn from. Uh, there is a recently finished uh, project called Biodiverse City, which tested and implemented around 20 uh, solutions, actions around the city, uh, such as green roofs, urban forests, mobile vegetation, vegetation integrated into buildings, and so on, and learning from those experiences. And as I said before, maybe we don't always call them nature-based solutions, but the idea is similar. I mean, using blue and green infrastructure to provide different services and benefits to people. Uh, So there are a lot of examples. And even if we look uh, out globally, uh, there are many examples. I like to talk about the Melbourne Urban Forest Strategy, which is an interesting example of how to green a whole city. Another example would be Utrecht in uh, Holland, uh, which is a very interesting example of engaging with citizens in the greening of the city. I could go on forever. One thing that I've read, uh, which we really haven't talked yet about on this episode, is the integration of green, blue, and gray infrastructure. Uh, What does this mean then in how do we integrate these three types of infrastructure? And can you maybe share some examples that that you've come across in your research? Yeah, basically, I think that we could talk about it in, in two ways. Integration into the built environment. So integrating these green and blue elements into the physical environment, then it's also a visible, tangible asset in the city, something that we can 
thrive from or thrive in and, and make use of. On the other hand, integration means integrating it into our daily planning practices. So making it routine, making it the ordinary or the normal, and not as something, you know, an add-on to what we do. So in preparing for this episode, there seems to be a lot of benefits from nature-based solutions. Then do you see any drawbacks with NBS? Well, in some research, uh, it's used simply as a buzzword, we can see, uh, without really engaging with what the concept means. Um, we have to make sure it's not just a concept, but actually leading to actions for more green-blue infrastructure in cities. So we as researchers need to focus on making knowledge actionable. And that's why I think implementation is interesting, for example. And, um, well, we also talked about the value of space before and how value of green and blue infrastructure can create benefits to people. But we should also be aware of situations in which investments in parks and greenery has led to city areas being more attractive and property prices going up and forced people to move because it's simply too expensive to stay there. And this is uh, this is gentrification and social exclusion, and that's an undesired effect of MBS. So one example is the High Line Park in New York City, which uh, led to a dramatic rise in property values and thousands of tourists coming to see it as well. So as researchers, we should critically reflect on how some desired environmental or ecological values can relate to socioeconomic effects that we may not want to create. Yeah, these are important things to consider, Bjorn. And uh, now maybe let's zoom in on our listener, because this podcast is uh, also about providing tangible solutions uh, that our listeners can relate to. So how would you say that our listeners may make use of nature-based solutions in their cities? Uh, perhaps we start specific uh, and, and related to your experience. So then my question would be, how can urban planners make uh, sure that nature-based solutions are implemented? Well, I would like to highlight a few things that seem important when we have looked at some municipalities and how they seek ways forward in governing and implementing NBS. First of all, collaboration with different stakeholders is very important. Collaborating with citizens, experts, developers to gather knowledge and competence to find new tools or evaluation methods that can help providing the right information that in turn supported decision-making and implementation. You know, together is stronger. Then another thing is the integration of knowledge about ecosystem services and MBS. So integrating it into planning strategies and into the different steps of the planning process and thus making it the normal uh, daily routine in, in planning. Another thing would be the importance of testing and implementing MBS in development projects and evaluate and learn from that testing. Uh, it's much easier on a, a limited space than taking the whole city uh, uh, as a playground. Last but not least, I think we've seen that it's very important to involve decision makers because planning is ultimately, by the end of the day, depending on political decisions and priorities. So I really like these recommendations, Bjorn. Collaboration, integration of knowledge, testing, and involving decision makers. But I'm thinking then for somebody at home 
What specific suggestions would you have for our listeners to engage with nature-based solutions? Well, I think some general ideas that no matter if you're a researcher, a planner, a decision maker, or if you're running a business, we can all engage with uh, MBS. And uh, there's a general need to raise awareness and knowledge about MBS and how we can benefit from them. So they can actually play an important role for climate change adaptation and resilience in our cities. First of all, I think we need to understand why we need MBS in cities. For example, understanding the problem related to the amount of hard surfaces in cities, all the concrete and asphalt that only transports water to the lowest points in the city. Then I think we need to understand the benefits of integrating more natural elements in our cities, like trees, permeable surfaces, rain gardens, and so on, to hold or slow down water instead of flushing it away and creating problems underground or somewhere else in the city. Thirdly, I think we have to consider the additional benefits, such as water pond turn into a skating ice in wintertime, which then benefits humans uh, and our health and well-being. So for a citizen, or for me, or for you, I think it's important to, to value nature and all the good things we get from it. So take a walk outside and think about all the green and blue space and what it provides. Make use of the water instead of getting rid of it. One way would be, if you can, collect rainwater in your garden and make use of it. Uh, another way is to plant a tree or two. So finally, I would also address another important issue, and uh, that's, uh, that would be to ask your local politician how they foresee or how they want your city to adapt to climate change and what the city is doing to work more with nature. Well, Bjorn, I think these are great suggestions for our listeners to take away. We want to thank you for joining us here on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I think it's now time to close today's episode with our sustainability scoop. This month's sustainability scoop shares the latest initiative to come out of Davos last week. Launched at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting, which took place in Davos, Switzerland last week, the One Trillion Trees community seeks to empower and mobilize a global reforestation effort. The platform seeks to connect millions of people from around the world to plant one trillion trees in order to reduce greenhouse gas levels in the atmosphere. Sophie, what do you think about that? I think it sounds awesome. And uh, in reporting by The Guardian last year, scientists say that planting trees is one of the easiest and cheapest way of taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere to tackle the climate crisis. And according to estimates, planting one trillion trees would cost approximately $300 billion or 240 billion pounds. 
this solution is said to be by far the cheapest climate solution that has ever been proposed. Yeah, to put this in context, I was thinking about how the cost of planting one trillion trees is less than half of the uh, United States military budget annually. Interesting. Yeah. So certainly money exists out there in the world to proceed with an initiative like this. Uh, if you want to hear more about this month's sustainability scoop, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter. Each month, we send out a reminder email announcing new episodes, which also includes show notes, access to our research outputs here at the IIIEE, and additional information about our monthly sustainability scoop. You can sign up on our website, www.IIIEE.lu.se backslash podcast. And if you want to learn more about the One Trillion Trees community, you can visit their website, www.1t.org. That's the number one and the letter t.org. But uh, it should be mentioned that just planting trees will not be enough to address the climate crisis we are facing, as Greta Thunberg rightfully pointed out last week. Nevertheless, nature-based solutions is more than trees. It is about deliberately using nature to address sustainability challenges. And, you know, as I reflect on this episode and our sustainability scoop, I realize that a tree is much more than just a tree. A tree can be a nature-based solution when planted to provide services such as habitat to support biodiversity, purification of air, cooling in the summers, and enjoyment by all of us. And now we learn that a tree can be the cheapest and most effective way to take carbon dioxide emissions out of the atmosphere. A tree is certainly more than just a tree. Yeah, I agree, Sophie. I really like this idea of rewilding, uh, something that's come up recently about bringing nature back into our cities and into our communities and rewilding our environment. So let's all get to planting trees. Well, we must think of our role in this. We cannot just plant trees to offset our own responsibilities. We right. also have responsibilities in terms of our choices. Right. So we also then have to consider our unsustainable patterns of production and consumption. So I think one of the concerns that I have is that nature-based solutions are often described as a panacea to address all of our challenges. You know, simply put, if we invest in new blue-green infrastructure, we'll solve all the, the world's challenges. But I think we also have to be critical then that this in and of itself is not the solution and that governments and businesses and, and even even us here in academia, many use nature-based solutions to greenwash their activities in favor of the status quo. So our hope with this episode is that we have managed to introduce a new concept which is seemingly growing on the urban policy and planning agendas around the world, and as such that we have assisted in providing you the necessary information to engage with and hopefully support nature-based solutions in your city in ways that can actually support sustainable development. So, maybe you plant a balcony garden to enjoy while also inviting nature into your life. Or you write to your local urban planner to share what you have learned about blue-green infrastructure. Do you see examples of nature-based solutions in your community? We'd love to see them. Share with us on social media. Tag us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. Let's inspire our podcast community by sharing examples of nature-based solutions in our cities. Yeah, we're excited to see your posts. Now, as we close this episode, we want to thank Kess McCormick and Bjorn Wickenberg for joining us on today's episode. We also want to thank our communication manager, Marianne Sandberg. She will be embarking on another opportunity, and we would just like to share just how appreciated her support and guidance have been in the production of this podcast. 
we wish her the best of luck in her new position. So, once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We'll see you back on the podcast on February 17th with our latest episode. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later.